Hey there, welcome to the TWE podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things related to horse training, horse keeping, and being better horse people for our horses. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. And if you'd like to share your thoughts with me or have suggestions for future podcast episodes, please feel free to reach out to me through social media or the TWE website, thewillingequine.com. On my website, you can also find a ton of great information about horse training and keeping in general, as well as check out the TWE services and just learn more about us. Also, we have courses and memberships that you could sign up for. Before you do that though, I would love for you to listen to this episode and I hope it inspires you in a positive way today. Hey guys, today I'm going to be answering a question from a podcast listener, but first I want to share a message from another listener that doesn't have a question. She just wanted to share uh, with me and you guys her feedback on the podcast and how it's impacted her life with her horses. And I just loved getting messages over my holiday break from you guys. And I'm just now getting back to responding to them. Thank you so much for your patience. If you want to send me a message, if you want to ask a question, maybe you have a podcast episode suggestion, you can go to my podcast host, which is anchor.fm forward slash the willing equine. And on there, there's a button that says send a message. And all you have to do is record a short little, you know, snippet of you asking your question and it will be added to a podcast episode. And I will answer your question on here in those future episodes. So without further ado, here are the two messages and I will follow up with the answer to the second message. Hi Adele. I was so happy to see your latest podcast today. Um, Actually, I've been checking in to see if there was a new one quite frequently. Uh, You taught me a lot and especially to think and to think and to think some more about how we can do it um, in a more positive way for our horses. So I'm glad you're back. Thank you. Hi, my name's Harmony. I absolutely adore your podcast. They help me a lot with my horse. But I was wondering how I can create that bond with her where it's not so much like a training bond to where she does what I ask because there might be repercussions, but the bond where there's tr- like there's so much trust that she's like willing to do what I ask her because she wants to do it for me and to please me. And I was just wondering if there if you could explain maybe like in depth how to maybe create that bond or how to start creating that bond and working on it. Thanks. Okay, so great question about creating a bond without it being a bond that or a a response from the horse that is to avoid consequences. So it's not necessarily an intentional training quote bond. It's more about the relationship together. It's more about the time spent together. It's more about um your connection together, regardless of what you're actually achieving in training. You could be jumping, you could be doing groundwork, you could just be hanging out in the pasture. It's more about y'all's relationship, you and your horse. I love talking about this topic. I'm very passionate about it. I have uh, dedicated my business and my my time and my training expertise and all that to focus on this topic specifically, uh, building positive relationships between people and horses. And That basically is what you're talking about. And, you know, with any word, um, especially a word like bond or relationship or um, willingness or (laughs) I'm trying to think of some other words that are, uh, they are human constructs typically and the human labels. So this means that there isn't necessarily like you can't just... This is kind of graphic, but you can't just open up a horse or a human and find bond, right? You can't find respect. You can't find, um, willingness. Like it's a, it's a collection. It's a label that we use for a collection of behaviors. So we have to really break this down. We have to really piece it apart into what does that look like for you as an individual? What is it exactly that you mean? What does that look like to you? When a horse, when you have a relationship with a horse and they are willing, what does that look like to you? And this is called operationalizing. So we're operationalizing that word, that construct, that label into tangible 
goals and, and behaviors and things that we can actually see and observe and measure. So to me, we'll just start here to me, um, having a horse that is willing, we'll start there. Cause it's, you know, the willing equine, <laughs> um, having a horse that is willing means to me that when given the choice, when given the choice to go a graze or participate with me in a training session, they will typically choose to participate with me in a training session. But I'm going to add on top of that. You can say that a horse um, has the option to graze or participate with you and they're choosing to stay with you. But are they choosing to stay with you to avoid consequences, kind of like you mentioned in your message, or are they choosing to stay with you because there is something in it with, for them? They're really connected with you. They really like enjoy spending time with you. They're willing to do it. And there are no aversive, you know, the true, like negative, um, consequences. There's no punishers for not participating. And this is a big, uh, we need to really wrap our heads around this because there are a lot of, well, I guess Liberty training became really popular for a while, especially on social media. It was like a huge thing for a while. Um, and I think it still is, but not so much as it was when I first got on Instagram and social media, I mean, Liberty training, the whole idea of Liberty horsemanship and all that was like huge. And we've gone away from that a little bit, at least what I'm seeing on the trends on Instagram. Because I think we're starting to realize as horse people, you know, as the collective horse people, that just because something looks like the horse has a choice doesn't mean that mentally in their mind, they actually have the choice. And this is the key here. This is what defines willingness for me in a true sense, not just, you know, what appears to be willingness, not just what appears to be at liberty. So what I mean by this, I'll break this down even further. What I mean by this is... Um, you can have a horse out on the beach, galloping along the beach, you know, completely tactless and looking like the whole thing is magical and it's made for the movies, right? And it's liberty, you know, horsemanship, it's liberty training, the horse is free, you know, they're galloping together, they have this great bond, they have this great relationship. But I, what I need to look at, I mean, that's just a snapshot in time, right? We're just looking at a snapshot, a moment in time that appears that way. And we really need to, though, look at how they got to that point. So if that horse originally was taught to gallop down the beach with not only a tack on, but lots and lots of tack, including spurs and whips and bits, and and I'm not saying that all those are inherently bad, but you get the, I'm trying to paint an image here, <laughs> um, heavy, heavy bits, you know, lots of use of whip. If they didn't go forward, there was an increase in pressure. Um, or, and if they bolted, there was yanking on the bit. Like if they initially, there was a lot of use of aversives and consequences and punishers, negative or aversive consequences, unpleasant consequences, I should say. Um, then what happens from there would be, well, what I've seen happen, and this is how I used to train too, and is very common. Um, we start off with all that tack and all of that equipment. And then we start as the horse realizes that this is what that needs to happen. We can start downgrading the equipment. Essentially we can downgrade it all the way. If you're a good trainer and you're really dedicated and patient to it and, or patient with your horse and with yourself and the training process, and also your horse is um, capable of doing this, we can downgrade all of those uses of aversive consequences of punishers until they're almost non-existent until the point where they could essentially be non-existent, but they're still there mentally in the horse's mind. The horse is mentally locked into, I must do this or else. So to me, that is not a true representation of my idea of willingness. My idea of willingness is from the very, very beginning, from the very first moment that we started interacting together, the horse could walk away and there was no punisher. There was no aversive consequences. There was no, like not even food was withheld, nothing. Like we're not talking negative punishment, meaning you take away the thing that the horse wants to punish them for not doing the thing you want. This is very, very easy to do in positive reinforcement. Um, if you don't know about negative punishment and the process of extinction and all that, check out my podcast episode about um, positive reinforcement or R plus being coercive um, and explains more. Anyway, so we're talking about avoiding that. We're talking about avoiding an actual, like um, a, like a, what we consider more 
positive punishment. There are lots of forms of positive punishment. And that is just the application of a punisher. So positive meaning, meaning apply and negative meaning retract or to, um, yeah, subtract. So I'm using the technical terms for positive and negative here versus the emotional context that comes behind positive and negative. So I'm going to put that little disclaimer in here for the next couple of minutes. I'm talking about very scientific, like, app, uh, Application of a punisher, so positive punishment, addition of a punisher, or negative punishment, which would be the removal of the thing that was that the horse desired, so the appetitive, um, as a punisher. This is can be easily explained in like with kids. Oftentimes, if a child, if two children are fighting over a toy, the parent walks in and takes the toy away. That's a negative punisher. Um. Anyway, where was I going with that? <laughs> uh, so. There's a lots of ways that we can inadvertently apply unpleasant consequences in our horses' lives to make them do the things that we would like them to do. And this to me is not true willingness. This to me is not true choice. And that pathway of not take using true choice and true willingness and all of that will lead to a um, something that kind of looks like willingness, something that looks like choice, something that looks like liberty, something that looks like bonding when it can very easily not be. And I'm not going to make a blanket statement. I'm not saying anybody who's ever trained with those things um, is, you know, doesn't have a bond with their horse, but it is much more challenging and potentially less um, genuine to go about it that way. I have found that I really like doing it this way. So again, we're talking about, I'm going to bring this all back. We're talking about my idea of willingness and the way I break down that construct and that label into my training. And when I talk, when I'm talking to people, so this is really good to like operationalize this before we go forward. The other type of um, potentially unpleasant consequence that could be inadvertently applied is an increase in pressure. So this is pretty common in the horse world. It's very common. Um, let's say you're sitting in the saddle. You want your horse to go forward. You squeeze your legs, but they don't go. So you squeeze a little harder or, or you just hold your legs there at the same pressure until the horse goes forward. The horse didn't really have an option other than to go forward to make that pressure stop an unpleasant pressure. So they didn't have a genuine choice to me. I mean, I guess they still had a choice because they could just blow up and, you know, throw you off or whatever. But as we know, horses are a very peaceful animal that are generally pretty compliant. They want to make people happy with them. They want to avoid aversives. So they usually will do what you ask them to do if you're very clear and consistent about it. So it takes a lot for a horse to, you know, go over the top and dump riders and things like that. I see those types of, um, I see, I see people say that quite often, especially on social media, but in person too, I've heard people say, well, if he really didn't want to do it, he would just dump me. But then my thought is, well, what would happen if he tried to dump you? He would get stronger punishers and he would get lunged around the round pen for, you know, two hours until he was exhausted or he'd be tied to a post or whatever. There's all kinds of weird and very extreme um, punishers that we use for horses post uh, event that have made us really upset. And so they didn't, again, why would they act that way again? Why would they communicate with you again? So this brings me to the point of part of that willingness, label, construct, whatever, is that they have to be able to freely communicate with us and we have to respect that communication. So if your horse tells you they're nervous, you have to say, okay, I acknowledge that you're nervous. We're going to take this down a notch. I'm going to help you be comfortable again, and then we'll try it a different way. So it requires two-way communication with the human and the horse. And a lot of horses have been taught to shut down. A lot of horses have been taught that their forms of communication aren't listened to, that they're not respected, and they're just expected to shut up and listen, basically shut up and do what they're told. Um, so again, to have a willing partner, to have a willing horse, you as the human need to be just as willing to listen. And so it has to be two way. It has to be balanced. You have to listen to them and they need to be able to hear you out too. But as the human, as the trainer, it is really on our shoulders to help our horses understand us. They're not born just knowing how to understand us. However, we have books and courses and videos and all kinds of stuff that teach us how to understand horse. 
So your horse doesn't have that. Your horse doesn't have courses that they can sign up for to learn human. I wish they could. I mean, that would be kind of funny. <laughs> they had human 101. Um, but that's our job. Our job is to teach them human 101. So in as nice and patient and clearly laid out way as possible and with patience. So... You know, we have to break down this idea of willingness as a construct and as a label and really think about what it looks like. What does that look like? So, and I'm talking about um, the behavior. Okay, so back to the whole image of the horse galloping down the beach and looking amazing and all of that. And it's just so beautiful. And we just want to transplant ourselves over there and just be like, live that moment, right? Like it's every horse girl's dream. I mean, I've flashbacks to black stallion right now, like with them galloping down the beach. Anyway, um, pretty much every horse movie involves some sort of kid and horse galloping into the sunset or on a beach or something completely tactless. And I'm like, man, they're miracle trainers. Like <laughs> just anyway, it's just funny to me. Um, so we can achieve that through a gradual decrease in the use of aversive consequences until the horse really doesn't know how, I mean, they just, they just know what to do. They know what to do and how to do it or else in a really good analogy I have for this, a really good example of this is with actually with, um, elephants. I don't know how common this is anymore. I'm not going to speak uh, like to how common it is, but maybe more so before than now. I don't know. Um, adult elephants can be tied to like this tiniest little stick or chair or whatever by just a string, which they could easily snap. I mean, the horses, I mean, the elephants can snap those strings and no problem. Like it's just whatever. So we see, we're sitting here looking at this situation. Like, why isn't this elephant just like taking off and like, you know, forget you humans. I'm going to go live on my own and be wild and free. Um, that was because as babies, when they couldn't break chains and such, their owners, masters, whatever trainers, tied them with a chain they couldn't break around their foot as babies to sturdy logs or whatever. I'm not an elephant trainer, if you can't tell. <laughs> um, until the baby elephants learned that they couldn't break what was tied around their leg. And then as they got older and they experienced this over and over again, um, the trainers were able to use less and less of a piece of equipment because the elephant, it had solidified in their mind. Like they just knew they couldn't escape. And so they stopped even trying. Why try? It's just never going to break. And so now as adult elephants, massive as they are, they don't even break little ropes. Um, this same process easily happens with our horses easily. And this is how a lot of horse training is, is, this is what it's based on. A lot of it is based on this. I mean, maybe not as, you know, we're not trying to be harmful or anything. And it is technically like good negative reinforcement training to be able to decrease the uh, tools that you're using until you barely need anything until like a little shift in your seat gets a response, like a down, you know, a downward transition from a canter to a trot or an upward transition or a lead change or whatever. I mean, but initially when you rode, you had to do this big hip swing and a kick with your outside leg and a pull with your inside rein to get that, you know, that lead change, you know, I'm just spitballing here, but it started off big. And then now you can just do this little tiny twitch of your seat and the horse goes, bam, flips the, their lead, right? That's the same process. It's, it's, um, teaching them initially with a much bigger, louder form of the uh, negative reinforcement or whatever, the tool, and then downgrading it until you almost need nothing. So there is choice involved in this, but to me, this isn't the type of choice I'm after. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that process. I'm just saying for me personally and how I train, that's not the type of choice or the type of willingness I'm after. I don't want my horses to say, okay, I'll do this lead change or I'll trot or I'll lead into the barn because or else I want to lead into the barn or do the lead change or trot or whatever or tie or anything you can think of because this there's something in it for me and I know I have that choice and I would like to be here. I would like to participate in this because it's enjoyable for me and this human respects me and this human understands me. And overall, this experience is appetitive. It is enjoyable. It is something that I'm here for willingly and I want to participate in this. Um, and 
So overall, it's from a training perspective, the end goal is very much the same. A horse that ties quietly, a horse that does a flying lead change, a horse that picks up the trot when cued, a horse that leads back to the barn quietly. But the process to get there is very different. And I know I've gone on this huge training tangent, but this is so important when talking about having that bond and building that relationship, because this is the relationship. This, all of this, understanding all of this is the answer to your question. It is the answer to how to create the bond um, outside of training, because training takes up such a huge part of our relationship with our horses and training doesn't have to be this thing that we just do with our horses and we make them do it. And it's just this, you know, like do it horse. And then later we go out to the field and we just want to sit with them. And all of a sudden we want this magical connection. No, it all flows together. It's all part of the same, um, picture to your horse. There is nothing different between you sitting out in the field with them and you riding them to them. It's all just their time with you. Now they can definitely pick up on different scenarios. like So they can pick up on, well, if she comes out to pasture without a halter, it's all good and fine because she's probably just going to scratch on me. Maybe she has some treats. We're just going to spend some time together and they won't, you know, they won't act the same as if you come out to the pasture with a halter on or a halter in your hands and uh, try and lead them back to the barn. They're going to be like, they may be like, oh gosh, I don't want to ride. I mean, because that predicts going back and riding and doing all the unpleasant stuff that they may not want to do. And some horses really enjoy that, but a lot of them don't. I mean, how common is it that horses take off when they see a halter? I mean, catching horses from the pasture is a big issue. Um, so this all is together. There's not one or the other. There's not bonding time versus training time. It's all one package. The horse learns to associate you with how you interact with them on a day-to-day basis, whether you're in the arena, in the pasture, in the stall, out at the showgrounds, whatever, all of that gets wrapped up into their view of you. So the more consistent you can be and the more um, you can make that a positive experience for them, the more choice you can give them, the more you're after that true, genuine like willingness and you're not trying to force them to do things, the more it will improve your relationship and your, your level of bonding and your communication overall. So yeah, so that's kind of a a big chunk of it. Um, But we need to look at it. I'm going to go back to that. There's something in it for the horse. So here's the thing. I think as humans, because we, I don't know why this is the case, but it is the case for a lot of people, including myself uh, initially a long time ago, where we have this idea that the horse should just do it for us because it's us, because they just want to spend time with us, because they want to please us, they want to make us happy. Horses aren't born with any desire to please us. As far as we know, all the research I've read and all the studying I've done, all the training I've done, there isn't something that's just born inside of a horse that says, I want to please this human. There's absolutely no, there's nothing inside of them that, that, goes that way, right? They're not just going, okay, where's my human? I need to make them happy. That is something that we need to, um, I'm trying to figure out how to properly explain this, but that is a bit, that is a a very self-centered as far as like human centric way of thinking of things that they should do something just because, just because it's us. Like we're so amazing that they should do it for us. And and I'm, I'm just talking about this in general, this concept in general. I'm in no way like saying any, you said anything wrong. I totally get what you were saying. I'm just want to address this idea that they should want to please us, that they should do it for us and to make us happy. The more we look at the situation like that, the more we are going to be prone towards ideas such as the horse should respect us. Why should they respect us? Because it's us or that they should please us, that they should want to do it, that they're being, you know, difficult or malicious, or they just don't like us or whatever, if they're not doing it for us. So if they just aren't doing it for us, and they're just a difficult horse, we need to train, change horses, and we need to get a horse that we're better connected with, that we get along better with. The whole human-centric idea and thought process that is very much rooted into the horse people population is pretty dangerous um, and is not helpful or constructive towards 
um, effective and, you know, training, it doesn't really help us at all. And it certainly doesn't help with that relationship aspect. It doesn't help uh, us be able to have a tangible or um, a, a uh, actually achievable process towards developing relationship. And, you know, I would even argue that even with people, other people, this isn't so much a thing. Like people don't just like us just because it's us. Like they don't try and please us just because it's us. They're not born like your friend on the street or your, um, your friend at school or whatever. They don't just do things just to please you entirely. Now there's differences because we're talking about human to human there, you know, we ha- we are a social species. We really, there's a lot going on there that is beyond just the behavior aspect of it. But if you think about it with people socially, we do a lot of things to benefit each other. Like, so we're not, we're not just here just because your friends typically offer you companionship. They offer you support. They bring you food. You guys go out to meals together. You laugh, you hang out, you have a good time. There is something in it for you. And that helps strengthen and boost your relationship. As soon as you're in a relationship where the person on the other end is only taking and never giving, you're in a toxic relationship and you probably should be on your way out from that relationship. As soon as the person on the other end of the relationship only ever calls you to ask you for something. They never, you know, engage in you with you with, uh, for social reasons other than to like, um, get something from you or maybe they, you know, degrade, you have degrading conversations with you. Like they're just like, okay, this is wrong with you. This is wrong with you. We need to fix this. We need to fix this. And, you know, they always want something from you. Um, they don't have anything nice to say to you. They don't ever help you out when you're, you know, maybe you get a flat tire and they never come to help, but they expect you to help them. That's a toxic relationship. And I think I'm going to go ahead and say it. I think a lot of horse people are in toxic relationships with their horses. Well, I should say this actually scratch that horses are in toxic relationships with their people. And they unfortunately do not have the choice to leave. But a lot of relationships between horses and people are very much centered on the human, the human getting what they want, the human getting what they need, and not really giving back. It's all about what the human needs. It's all about what their goals are. It's all about um, what they can get from the horse, and they don't give a whole lot back. Now, yes, we pay for their medical bills. We pay for, you know, their food and all that, but horses are not us. They don't look at the big picture like that. They don't sit there and say, oh, you know, Sally is so nice. Um, she brings me food every morning and she gives me this nice little stable and she, um, you know, I have pasture turnout a couple hours a day and she pays for my medical bills. So I'm going to do all these things for her. They don't think about situations like that. It's very much in the moment for them. So you have to think about like when you step into that arena or when you step into the pasture, even in that moment that you're about to ask something of your horse, what's in it for them? This is a type of relationship where it's very much moment by moment. And there is a positive history bank, which we'll talk about in a, a moment. So that's going to very much in help your relationship with your horse. But horses are very much in the moment. They live right now. What is in it for me right now? Not what was in it for me, you know, this morning at 7 a.m. And it's now 2 p.m. And you want to ride me. Not what is going to be in it this afternoon, you know, when it's dinner time. It's right now, what is in this for me? And it's a flow back and forth between you and your horse in the moment. It needs to be reinforcing for both of you, um, the majority of the time. And that's really going to improve your relationship with your horse. That's really going to be what strengthens your relationship and your bond and your connection with your horse. And that's what creates a willing horse, a horse that is there because they're, because, um, they know you predict a positive outcome. They know that if they trot up to you and leave the juicy spring sugary grass, that there's something in it for them, that they're going to get to have fun, that you guys are going to get to do something together, that you have reinforcers for them, that they're going to get to learn something new and it's going to be exciting or there's enrichment or something. There has to be something in it for them. And this is what you'll build your relationship on. So I mentioned the kind of the piggy bank, the bank of positive, um, you know, positive outcomes in the history. 
So one of the, one of my favorite, so another, uh, I gotta gotta think trust is another construct or human label that can be operationalized. And Dr. Susan Freeman operationalized it like this, that it's a history of positive outcomes. So we trust a chair to, we trust it not to fall from under us because the last, you know, 20 to 50 times we sat on a chair, it didn't collapse under us. However, if, you know, we sat on a chair and it collapsed under us, we might question, you know, we might hesitate for a minute before we sit on the next chair, maybe just a fraction of a second, because we know that like 99 out of the hundred times a chair doesn't collapse under us, or maybe it's even bigger. I mean, I can't remember the last time a chair collapsed under me. It was maybe ever, maybe once. I don't know. It's been thousands and thousands of times I've sat on a chair and never had one fall under me. And I have one, maybe two experiences in my past. Um, but if one had just recently fallen under me, I might question just for a second, I might shake the chair a little bit, make sure it's not going to fall under me. And then I sit on it. And then, you know, that one little time where the chair fell on under me, if I have a thousand more experiences where the chair doesn't fall under from under me, I'm going to continue to trust chairs. However, if a chair falls from under me, and then the next time a chair falls from under me, and then maybe I have a chair that doesn't fall from under me the third time, but the fourth time a chair falls from under me, um, I'm going to start having trust issues with chairs. So (laughs) trust is built on a history of positive outcomes. We didn't hit our bum when when the chair fell from under us, right? And that's why we trust chairs. Same thing for horse training. Same thing for horses. Um, your horse has to have a history of positive outcomes with you to be able to trust you. And trust is a foundation for a relationship with your horse, for a bond with your horse, for a willing horse. They are going to be way less willing to participate in training with you if they can't trust you. So what does it look like to break the trust with a horse? I have a lot of um, examples for this, but one of my favorites is the use of a punisher or um, making an experience unpleasant. So, um, like, let's say, you know, last 10 times you've been working with your horse out in the field and you were just kind of trotting around doing some liberty circles or something and everything was going fine. They got clicked and reinforced. It was beautiful. But the 10th time... Um, they got a little bit too close to you. So you shooed them away from you kind of suddenly and it startled them. That would be an aversive outcome. That would be something that scared them and it would break the trust down a little bit. So these situations are going to show up. There are going to be situations where you have to protect yourself or maybe, you know, the trailer ride wasn't as enjoyable as it was the last, you know, however many times, like there's going to be an un intended unenjoyable experiences for your horse. It's just inevitable. It's going to happen. But the trick here is, is to build up the piggy bank of trust experiences. So you need to start stocking up and storing a long history of positive outcomes of interactions with you, where there's not punishers, where there's not aversive pressure, where there's not consequences for things and making mistakes or not engaging with you. Um, And the more you can get under your belt, the more you can fill up that piggy bank. One little time where things don't go as well as you wanted them to, it's not going to make or break the bank. It's just going to take a a little bit out of it, but you can quickly rebuild it and they can fall back on that positive history. This is critical to developing that solid, really good relationship with your horse. So... We've got our piggy bank, we've got the concept of trust and not falling back on like consequences and, and uh, negative, adversive, aversive consequences or uh, experiences. And we've operationalized, um, what have we operationalized? I don't even know. Like we've talked about bonds and relationships and willingness, but let's really quickly look at what it looks like, like physically, when you look at a horse, when you look at a training, um, session, what does it look like to see a willing horse? Well, we touched on it a little bit, but I'm going to talk about it just a tiny bit more. I can, the, the only time, not the only time, the moment where I can really tell when a horse is choosing to willingly participate with me is when I see them 
on their own, like they just do it, walk away from me and go do their own thing. And then maybe later they come back or tomorrow we try again and they come back, but they have to show me that they know how to walk away and they are confident with walking away and they are confident disengaging from the training session to be able to prove to me, not that they have anything to prove to me, but just so in my mind, I can, I can tick that box that says they actually know they have a choice. And that's really what it comes down to. I can't tell you because I can't ask the horse if they know they have a choice until they make that decision to walk away. And then I know they know they have the choice. I know they know they have the choice to walk away. And from that point forward, you know, give or take, and there's some gray area. Um, I am much more confident in saying that horse is a willing horse. That horse knows they have a choice that no, that horse is willingly participating and making the decision to engage with me. Um, and again, you can't stop that. You can't stop it and you can't punish it or correct it or add pressure or else you just reversed that concept for the horse, that understanding for the horse that they had a choice. Anytime you say, nope, you can't walk away. You immediately, you just erased the idea again, or, you know, shut that down that they had a choice that they had any kind of choice whatsoever that they just, now they're going to be like, okay, well, I just, I guess I just have to do it. And so to me, that's not a willing horse. That's not, um, what I want my relationships and my connections with my horses to be built on. I want them to know they have a choice. Now I'm going to put a little disclaimer, not a disclaimer, a little asterisk, (laughs) if you will, kind of thing where, I don't want as a trainer to be causing my horse to walk away frequently like that. That's a sign that the training is stressful or what I'm asking him to do is not, not, or not ideal for them or whatever. Like as a trainer, uh, looking at it from an effective and just perspective. Anyway, I talk a lot about this in my, you know, my courses and stuff, so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but your horse shouldn't, it's so, it's so, um, gray because in the beginning, sometimes this happens a lot more, but let's say a horse that has a lot of experience and a trainer that has a lot of experience. Um, like let's, for example, my Philly river, or she's now a mare, she's almost five. Oh my gosh. Um, my mare, when she, if she were to walk away in the middle of a training session, that's a big red flag to me because it just means that like something happened. Like I did something now. I'm glad she walked away. Because it tells me, you know, reminds her and myself that she does have a choice and that's fine. It's a good exercise for both of us. But it's a little bit of a flag to me, not even red, like a yellow flag, like a heads up. You may have done something that kind of confused her or frustrated her or, you know, whatever. You're not being as reinforcing, you know, all that. So I take that into consideration. I don't just, you know, I don't want my horses walking away all the time. But I do want to know that they know how to do it. So... Again, I'm going to put in here, I think you should, if you haven't already listened to my podcast episode about R plus positive reinforcement being coercive, the potential for it, it's not coercive. Ah, I did not frame that correctly. If you haven't already and you are using food rewards during your training and positive reinforcement, please listen to my episode about the potential for positive reinforcement to be coercive. It is not inherently more ethical. Um, you have to use it correctly or else your horse will feel obligated to stick around and not leave. And like, they don't have a choice, um, if they don't have other access to reinforcement or they don't have food all day. And anyway, just listen to that episode. So there's a lot of that goes into it, a lot more details. So I feel like I have gone all over the place on this episode so far in answering your question. It's really just not a black and white, um, answer for you, but before we move, before we end, I want to really quickly kind of sum up like how you asked how to get started with that process, like how, like in depth, like how do you start building that relationship with your horse, creating that bond with your horse that isn't just about training. And it took us, you know, 36 minutes to get to this moment. The whole previous part of the episode is all the in-depth part. It's about breaking down what it looks like, breaking down what it means, um, breaking down what it looks like. And, um, yeah, I feel like I missed something, but (laughs) so 
breaking all of that down, going really in depth, but like, what are my bullet point, like step one, step two, step three, like, how do you work on this relationship? How do you create that bond? Okay. So it's not black and white. Again, nothing is ever black and white with horses. Um, step one here is that it is so important to address your horse's environment in their diet and health. You really need to look at like, how are they living? Do they have the five freedoms? So friends, um, freedom, food or forage, sorry, and safety and fun. Um, those are the five freedoms. They need all five of those freedoms and they need it according to their species. So friends for them doesn't just mean socializing over a stall door. It means being turned out with companions all the time. Um, freedom means being out in the pasture, like a big, you know, as big of a pasture as you can get. Um, safety being like, you know, in a safe environment, having medical care, all of that. Forage, they need forage 24 seven. They need access to it 24 seven. They may not actually eat forage 24 seven, but they need access to it 24 seven. And then fun being able to, um, socialize with companions and play. And then also I would put enrichment in this area. So if you don't have that five freedoms foundation, you're going to have a really hard time working on the relationship between you and your horse. It's like, we're going to go back to that toxic relationship. Um, analogy. It is hard to have a healthy relationship with somebody else, a friend, family member, whatever, if you are not doing well yourself, if you are suffering in some way, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, you need to be in a good place or relatively good place to be able to, um, have a healthy relationship with somebody else and be able to provide them what they need and offer reinforcers to them and respond to their communications and respond in a, you know, level-headed way and have conversations with them and all that. Same with our horses. They are not going to be able to respond to you and you're not going to be able to respond to them very well if you both are not in good places. So, you know, your horse needs to be in a good place, but also, you know, make sure, you know, check in with yourself too. Like, Make sure you're working on your own mental health and your own physical health and your emotional health as well. So you both need to be working on yourselves and as you, the human caregiver for your horse, you are responsible for providing that for them. So you're going to have to do double time. You're going to have to take care of yourself, but also take care of your horse. All right. So that's like step one. Step two is going to be education, self-education yourself um, about equine body language and emotions and the way they learn. Really, really dive into those books, take some courses, learn, read. Um, I love the book Language Signs and Calming Signals of Horses. Um, and, you know, I have my own courses that you can participate in, but there's a lot of other great resources out there. There's lots of books about how horses learn and positive reinforcement and, um, so to really dive into that, really dive into that. So you can actually hear your horse, like you can see them and you can hear them and you can understand them again, going back to the toxic relationship example, you cannot have a good relationship with somebody else if you can't understand them and you can't read, you know, like what they're trying to tell you or grasp what they're trying to tell you. Like you'd have to be able to understand the person, you know, the horse in this example or this scenario on the other side, right. Of the relationship. So that's step two. Step three is going to be to, um, possibly set aside some goals for a while. Like you, you know, a lot of us have like riding and competition and training goals, but depending on where you are in your horsemanship journey, depending where you are in your education and all of that and your horse, how they're doing physically and mentally and emotionally, um, it may be really important to set aside some of those goals for a while until you can revamp your relationship until you can really focus on the relationship and decide how to move forward from there. So maybe this means you put a pause on some of your riding lessons. Maybe this means you don't go to the summer circuit or whatever, or you don't go to that barrel race. Um, maybe it means you don't worry about starting your young horse under saddle this spring or summer or whatever. Um, Set aside some of those goals to make room to prioritize spending time with your horse and having that relationship and really learning, relearning the relationship together. Um, what are we on? Okay. I think we're on four. So step four is going to be just getting to know your horse. This is super important. 
your horse is an individual. Your horse has um, emotions and personality and feeling and they, and it's outside of who you are and what you expect of them. They are their own being. And it's really important to get to know them. Go sit at the pasture fence. Like don't even go in so you don't interrupt the herd dynamics, but go sit under a tree at the pasture fence and just watch them. Just sit there and watch your horse interact with the other horse. What do they do all day? Do they sit at the hay bale? Do they, which, you know, companion in the pasture are they best friends with? Do they play? Do they prefer to graze or to eat from the hay bale? Do they, where is their favorite tree to snooze under? Like learning these things about their horse, your horse is really important to strengthening that relationship. Again, back to the toxic relationship example. If you don't understand or know or take the time to get to know the person on the other side of the relationship, how are you supposed to have a good relationship there? Same with your horse. You've got to get to know them as an individual. Um, and other ways you can spend time with them are by providing enrichment activities. There's lots of ideas. I have a whole Pinterest board if you just search the Willing Equine on Pinterest um, with enrichment ideas. Um you know, this is also just like zero expectation time. That's kind of what I call it, where I just go out and sit in the pasture with my horses. I might groom them. I might just sit under a tree. Recently, I had like this awesome experience where they were all sleeping and I just went out and sat with them in under the tree and we all just kind of snoozed together. It was super awesome. Um, stuff like that is fantastic. Get to know your horse. All right. Step five. Step five is to really create space for your horse to make choices and also to intentionally put um, into your training something for your horse. So what, going back to the idea, what's in it for them? What do they get from this experience? Why should they participate? Why should they choose you over, you know, doing something else? So making sure, you know, I'm not going to go super long in this uh, section because I just feel like I just spent the whole past episode talking about this, but you really need to try and avoid using punishers, try and avoid trapping your horse into only having one response, one acceptable response. Try and offer your horse an out. If they just want to walk away, let them walk away. And when they do spend time with you, when they are with you, offer them something. It, it could be scratches, or you could get into clicker training and positive reinforcement, whatever it is, like you need to start providing them something. Um, and just as a quick, you know, if you've never tried positive reinforcement and training with food, I highly, highly recommend finding somebody to help you get started. It doesn't have to be me, although I do have my foundation course and all of that, which is a fantastic way to get started. It doesn't have to be me though. There are lots of fantastic coaches out there. There are great books out there. Go to my resources page on my website, lots of information there. So Try and do your research and find somebody to help you, whether it's virtually or locally, get started because it's super easy to make big, um, potentially dangerous mistakes with feeding with food uh, or reinforcing with food um, with positive reinforcement if you have no experience in it. But once you have that experience, it is the most amazing thing ever and you will have this relationship I don't know. It just takes everything to the whole next level. I just, obviously this is what I do, but, um, I can't, I've done everything else too. And this is by far takes the cake. Um, that's kind of like where I go from there. And then step six is really going to be bringing it all together. So depending on how much time you spend on step five, which is like the, you know, training and making sure there's something in it for the horse and giving them a choice. Um, and how much time you spend on the other steps, you may or may not at this point be able to get back to like, maybe your goals will change. Basically, that's what I'm going to say. They may change. They may not. Either way, though, I think if you spend a lot of time on the first five steps, four steps, five steps, can't remember. See, I should write these things down. Um, you can go back to your goals with a renewed relationship with your horse and a lot better understanding and um, a better, you know, relationship, a less toxic relationship with your horse and achieve those goals together and make it fun and enjoyable. Whether those are new goals or your previous goals, either one is fine. So I think that was six steps. I'm probably going to beat myself up later when I listen back to this and realize it wasn't, but those are my step-by-step, -step, like how to work on building that relationship that isn't just training based. Um, I also have a blog article on my website 
that's about it's called how to improve your relationship i think it yeah i may say with your horse but either way just search for it in the blog and there's a lot of information in there as well and pretty much just covered what i covered here in this podcast episode but i hope that this answered your question and give you a lot to think about. And I would love to hear um, how this helps you and if you have any updates for us in the future. But thank you so much for uh, sending in your question. It was a great topic for this podcast episode. And I am you know, always open to hearing, having questions from anybody else that's listening to the podcast if you want to send me questions. Um, but yeah, as you guys can tell, I'm super passionate about this topic the topic of like willingness and choice and um, having a relationship with your horse and it not just being about goals and riding and I love riding, trust me, I love riding, but not just about that. It's not just about the riding. It's not just about reaching training goals. And it doesn't even matter if it's riding. It could be any training goal. It could be like, you know, in hand work. It could be, um, I don't know. It could be anything, but it's not just about that. To me, horses are not sports equipment. They are not a means to an end. They're not a means to my own goals. It's to me the goal or the the thing that feeds the passion and the desire. And like for me, it's about that relationship. So whether we are taking that relationship down the path of riding or taking that relationship down the path of in hand dressage work or taking that, that, um, relationship down the path of just spending time in the pasture together, you know, and occasionally doing some trick training. Sorry, my voice is giving out. Um, it doesn't matter. Like those are all equally valuable goals to me because, well, they're not even goals. They're just paths. They're just like down the road. We may or may not get there. The goal is the relationship and we are achieving that each and every day. So it's very fulfilling and it's amazing for myself. Um, and I hope so for you guys too, but I also have experienced a big change in my horses as well. They are overall much happier. They are much more willing in everything that they do. Um, it doesn't even matter what we do that day. I could, it doesn't even matter. Like they just, they just want to do something. They're just always waiting for me. They're like, what's today? What are we doing today? Um, but we can also go snooze under a tree together. And either way, we were successful that day because the goal was the relationship and where we worked on that. So, so yeah, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this episode here, wrap it up here. Um, I hope this was helpful and I, um, yeah, go check out those resources I provided you guys with the my resource page on my website and um, my blog article about improving your relationship. And there was probably some other things I mentioned, but that's a good start. That's a good place to start on my foundation course, all of that. But until next time, thanks so much, guys, for listening. And I really appreciate you and all of you guys. And uh, that's it. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. I'm also on a lot of different social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. So check those out. And I'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to email or send me a message.